As Claire said, my name is Paul. I, I'm one of the site pastors here at the central site of Vineyard Church, and it is wonderful to have you with us. I just want to extend that welcome again. If you're here, especially if you're here and you're new and you're exploring faith, you are so, so welcome. Uh, today, we are uh, diving into our Kingdom Carriers preaching series. Uh, as a church, we have a number of values that shape the way that we live and the way that we want to operate as a church, and one of them is that we would be Kingdom Carriers. The heart of that is that we would carry the kingdom wherever we go. And over the series, our hope is that we as a church would be compelled and equipped to carry the good news of the kingdom of God everywhere, every day, and to everyone. At the, uh, at the start of February, um, some of you hopefully will, be, will have been here when Derek Morphew, we had a guest speaker, come and explain some of the theology about what the kingdom of God is and why it's so important. Uh, and if you haven't uh, heard that talk, I would really, really encourage you to go back and listen because it, is, uh, it will kind of underpin a lot of our thinking, you know, not just for this series but for, for beyond, but especially for this series. We're going to talk a lot about the kingdom of God. And so we'd really encourage you to go back and listen to that just so that you've got a great uh, uh, grounding. Now, over this series, we are going to be really practical uh, and talk about how we can go and do this. But over the, f- the next couple of weeks, we're going to just lay some of the groundwork of the key ideas that we need to understand in order for us to be kingdom carriers. And today, we are going to look at the first one of those, which is the authority that we carry to bring about God's kingdom. Now, let me just pray as I begin. Holy Spirit, Thank you that your presence is already thick in this place. And I just pray in this moment, Lord, that our hearts would be soft, that our our minds would be open to hear your truth. God, would you come and speak to us, and would we realize the authority that you have given us to carry your kingdom? We want to see your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me just give a quick recap of a little bit of what Derek said, just so that we're on the same page this evening. Um, Some of you, if you're new to the phrase kingdom of God, might be a bit confused by it. It's not something that we tend to use as a phrase much in our kind of everyday conversations. But really simply, the kingdom of God is what things would be like if God's will was done. It's where what God wants to happen, happens. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, in in that famous prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, we're saying that we want this situation to be like what it would be like, Lord, if you were in charge. Now, this theology is central to the Vineyard Church uh, as a a movement, which is the body of churches we're a part of, and it's central to us here. It's central also to understanding God's plan for humanity and the way that he works through the church and moves today. So very basically, Jesus, when he came down to earth 2,000 years ago, he brought about the kingdom of God, and it it broke in. And through his death and resurrection, and then the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the early church, he, he began empowering us to be kingdom carriers. Now, if that's the case, let me just hit quickly what a, a life of a kingdom carrier looks like. Now, I think... Um, in more charismatic arms of the church, we can be very quick to box the kingdom of God into signs and wonders and praying for healing and miracles. And those things, you know, they are amazing. They are 100% part of the kingdom of God, and, and we want to see them. And when we carry the kingdom, like, we will see those things happen. Uh, but the kingdom of God is also about so much more than just praying for people and seeing them healed. It's where relationships are restored. It's where communities flourish. It's where businesses thrive. It's where the work that we put our hands to aligns with the heart of God. It's where we see compassion and mercy in the justice system. 
It's where the poor are cared for and lifted out of poverty. It's where the vulnerable are protected and the oppressed set free. It's where we see our own insecurity and our own fear and depression fade away as we step into wholeness. The kingdom of God is about complete restoration of creation back to what God originally intended. Now that all sounds well and good, uh, but if the kingdom of God broke in through Jesus and the Holy Spirit empowers us today to live a kingdom life, it leads to the question, why doesn't life always look that much like the kingdom? As an England fan, (laughs) the kingdom of God was not present in Wales yesterday. (laughs) Danger. <laughs> it's dangerous being an Englishman in a Welsh church. No, we, did, we love the Welsh. We love the Welsh. But an important thing for us to understand is that there are two kingdoms uh, at war. We have the kingdom of God, and then we have the kingdom of darkness, or of evil, or of Satan, whatever phrase you'd want to use. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church in Ephesians, uh, it says this in verse six, uh, sorry, chapter 6, verse 12. He describes it. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Just opening your news app, or watching the news if you still do that, will confront you with stories of the other kingdom. You know, we see stories of death, of murder, of sexual assault of poverty, of broken politics, of sickness. You know, the list goes on and on and on. We are confronted clearly with the kingdom of darkness. We don't even need to look, you know, out into the wider world. We just look at our own experiences. When we have friends or family that pass away or get sick, when we lose our jobs, when our relationships fail, when maybe we can't get past the destructive patterns of anger and greed that are deep in our soul, you know, whatever the situation may be, The reality is we live in this tension that's called the now and the not yet. And again, uh, Derek did a great job of explaining um, a bit more about that. So I would, again, encourage you to go back and listen to get a grounding of it. But essentially, it says that the, the kingdom of God sometimes is now. Sometimes it breaks in and we see it. And then sometimes it's not yet. We live in this tension. And honestly, this tension is a mystery. And sometimes this mystery is frustrating. And honestly, it's also sometimes heartbreaking. You know, when you're praying for someone, I've been through it, you know, praying for family members, praying for friends who are, you know, suffering with terminal illness and believing for God to heal them, and then they don't get healed, and you get hit by the not yet. You know, when Jesus lost his friend, he wept. God is not afraid of our emotions. And so I just want to say that it is okay that the kingdom of God is a mystery and that we live in attention of the now and the not yet. And I want to say it's okay if sometimes we struggle with that. We're not looking for people who are fake. And it's just like, oh, no, everything's, everything's great. This is amazing. Yeah, God's moving. When actually, like, we're, we're broken because we've, we're struggling with a situation where we haven't seen the kingdom of God break in. And I just, as I was preparing, felt like I needed to encourage at least some of us in the room that if we have been disappointed, uh, maybe even angry at the not yet, when we haven't seen the kingdom of God break in, that the Lord isn't angry with you. You know, he's not like, uh, you know, a kind of uh, an angry child or like a child having a tantrum. It's just like, oh, well, you got disappointed when that thing didn't happen, so I'm not going to give you any blessing anymore. I don't want to play with you in that way. 
It's like, that's not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is that he grieves with us as we struggle, but he also invites us into more, into the now, into bringing the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't to minimize your pain. You know, there's no other way to say it. Sometimes the not yet of the kingdom sucks. It's painful. But it's to give us hope. Let's not let our experiences of the not yet cloud our thinking of the now. Let us be people who sit in this mystery, in this tension of the not yet and the now. And let's go after the now, knowing that sometimes, you know what, sometimes it will be not yet. We'll pray for people, they won't be healed. But sometimes we'll pray for them and they will be healed. And that will be really cool. So we live in this tension where the war has been won. Jesus defeated death on the cross when he rose again. But the battle still rages on. We're waiting for him to return to fulfill the kingdom. And I think the problem for many of us in the Western church is that we live in the mystery and we don't acknowledge or understand the authority that has been given to us to bring about the future reality of the kingdom into the now. We don't understand or grasp that we have the authority to change the destinies of our universities, of our workplaces, of our schools, of our families, of our friendships. We have the authority to break the power of darkness. And some of us, you know, we have let the disappointment of the tension rob us of the authority that God has given us. But there'll be others of us who we doubt whether we actually have any authority. I don't know that I believe that that is true about me. And some of us in the room might be in a totally different space. We might be like, I didn't realize that I was even supposed to have authority. This is quite a new way of thinking. You know, we might be in different places. And that, for me, was where I was for many, many years. I was a committed follower of Jesus. I lived, I was committed to, um, you know, living a moral, or fairly moral life, um, <laughs> real life. Uh, it's, I was really committed to Jesus, but I just hadn't grasped that he had given me authority to see his kingdom come. It wasn't a phrase that I knew. It wasn't a theology that I understood, and it definitely wasn't a practice that I lived out. But God has taken me on this journey of discovering the authority that he's given me and given every single one of us in this room. And this journey begins at the beginning. So if you've got your Bibles, <clears throat> let's open them up. We're in Genesis 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, as Claire said uh, in the notices, there are free ones downstairs. We would love for you to take one. Uh, you can also download them, so feel free to do that now. They will also, the verses will also come up behind me. So we're going to look at Genesis 1. It's the very first book of the Bible, so you open your pages and you're right there. And we're going to see that right from the beginning, God's plan was for us to carry his authority and be his representatives. Now, many of us will know this story. It's where God creates the universe, the world, humankind, the animals. And I just want to really quickly, as we start this, uh, just acknowledge and address that there is a spectrum of interpretation over this passage. And I want to do that because this passage and the kind of whole uh, creation narratives that we find in Genesis are key to us understanding the authority that God has given us. And I don't want any of us to write them off. Because I think that far too many of us, especially those of us who have grown up outside of the church, can quickly write this passage off because it doesn't match up with the science that we learn in school or maybe university. And so then we kind of know that and then we go, we sit in this camp, we say, well, because we've had such advances of scientific knowledge in how we were created, this passage has been proved wrong, so I don't need to listen to it. Really, it's outdated. It's irrelevant to tell me about my story of creation. And that's one side, right? Then you flip down to the other side 
of the spectrum. And there are those of us who read this story as an actual account of what physically took place at the creation of the world. And the danger for those of us in that camp is that we come at the passages that we're going to read today and the rest of them in early parts of Genesis, and we're looking for a linear explanation of science. And we take the story at face value, and then we go, okay, great, something's happened, wonderful, I'm going to turn the page and largely forget about it. Now, however you choose to read this, um, these passages, whatever end of the spectrum or likely kind of somewhere in the middle that you land, I want to say there's space for you in this community. You know what, there will be differences of opinions, that's okay. And actually, right now, I'm not that bothered where you land. I do think there's some helpful teaching on it, and I would love at another point to get to dive into it more. But really, it's okay. There is space for you wherever you land on that spectrum. But I want to give us all a word of caution. This story is scripture. And that means that we have to trust that its words were ordained by God and that they have something to say to us today. But we also need to be aware that the stories of the Bible fall into different categories of literature. You know, you have historical accounts, you have legal accounts, uh, you have letters, you have prophecy, you have poetry, you have prose. Jesus taught in parables. So what I'm saying is that we need to come to this passage with humility. Not just this passage, all of scripture. We need to allow it to speak to us no matter how smart we think we are. But we also need to come at it with wisdom to not necessarily take it at face value. And for us not to be afraid to ask questions that probe a bit deeper, like, what did this mean in its original context? What was the author trying to get across? Is there something about the author's culture that would help me understand what they are trying to say? And then maybe as we do that, we'd find that there are like many layers of meanings to the passages of Scripture that we read. So look, however we, you've read this passage in the past, I just ask that we would suspend judgment just for a moment and allow ourselves to find out that the message in Genesis 1 is probably more subversive and stunning than most of us realize. So that is enough of a preamble. Let's jump into the passage. So we're going to start at verse 26. So before this, God has created you know, everything, everything else, and he gets to this moment. He's creating humankind. And he says this, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea, in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. From the beginning of creation, God made us in his image with the intention that we would rule over his creation. Other translations uh, translate verse 28 as fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish, etc., Rule, reign, govern, subdue, bring into order. This is language of great authority. And the danger is for those of us who know this passage well, we read it and we're like, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. I'm made in the image of God. How wonderful is that? That's really cool. And then we move on and we kind of ignore some of the rest of what's going on in the passage. Now, when this was written, uh, there were lots of alternative worldviews about creation. 
some of you would have heard you know, kind of phrases like the Babylonian or the Assyrian myths of creation. Well, one of the prominent ones uh, was from, Baba, uh, from Babylon, and it was the story of Enuma Elish and the god Marduk. Now, in this story, we find a great example of how many people thought at the time. And it was this, that ultimately, humanity was created to be slave labor to make the gods' lives easy. That ultimately, the gods thought, you know what, work is beneath us. We just want to create this kind of worthless thing that will just do things for us so that we can have a good time. And so you kind of realize, okay, well, that's what other people think. And then you read the Genesis account of creation. And what you find in the verses that we read before it, you find that God does a whole bunch of work and puts in a whole bunch of effort to create the universe and the world. So what we find is that work isn't beneath God, but actually he takes delight in it. You know, that phrase that he does each time he creates something, is like, it was good. He takes delight in his work. So work is a good thing. But then it also says that humanity is not cheap or worthless, but humanity is made in the image of God to be his representatives and then invited to partner with him in doing his work, to rule, to reign, to govern, to bring into order, to bring life. This passage and this idea is what theologians call the cultural mandate, that from the beginning, humanity was commanded to create culture, or put it another way, to rewrite stories. Through everything that we do, in every sphere of influence that we have, to rewrite stories. Right from the beginning of creation, God trusted humanity with the task of ruling over his creation. From the beginning, he has entrusted great authority to humanity. You know, this is another mystery, and God is full of mysteries. That in his sovereignty, God could do it without us. But in his kindness, he prefers to do it with us. As I said um, earlier, this idea that God gives us authority was not one that I've always kind of known at the forefront of my mind. So over the last few years, uh, as the Lord has kind of been teaching me about this authority that he's been given, I've been attempting to partner with God and step out and carrying the kingdom. You know, when you read through the Gospels, you find time and time again that Jesus is giving his disciples authority. And often when he does that, he's like, I'm giving you authority to go and heal the sick and cast out demons. Uh, I don't have time to like pick out a bunch of verses, but if you want to look them up, there are some in Matthew 10, uh, Mark 6, Luke 9. These are great places to find some of those verses. And I look, I am by no means amazing at this, but in my life, one of the ways that this outworks of me trying to step into the authority that God has given me is that I, I attempt to, whenever anyone tells me that they're sick, whether they're Christian or not, I attempt in that moment to try and remember to offer to pray for them. Now look, do I always remember? No, of course not. Like, do they always say yes? No. Are they always healed? No. But what I'm trying to do is partner with God in, in the life that he is saying is possible. What I'm trying to do is to bring about the now rather than just living in the not yet. You know, it's the same getting prophetic words for people and trying to speak them out or words of encouragement, trying to step into it. Now, do I get it wrong all of the time? Do I, do I kind of wuss out of it? Yeah, I do. You know, this is a journey that you know, we're going on as we try and step out in courage. But I'm not called to be right. I'm called to be obedient. And that's the same for all of us in this room. As we step out and we try and carry the kingdom, and we try and be obedient to what God is saying, we need to not let the fear of being right kind of stop us. Because that's not what we're called to do. 
You might get a word for someone and say, hey, I, I just had an idea, you know, I, you know, you might go to them and say, I'm a Christian, I believe that God speaks today, and I, I just feel like maybe he's saying that um, you have something wrong with your left knee, maybe, and could I pray for it? And they might be like, no, mate, my left knee's fine. It's like, okay, no one died, that's fine. But what if in that moment, they did have a problem with their left knee? And in that moment, you're like, okay, I'm going to pray for you. And then they get healed. And in that moment, they're like, wow, maybe there is a God who loves me enough to tell this person who I don't know to come and give me a word like that. That is life-changing. That will rewrite someone's story. Now, some of you might know the phrase naturally supernatural. It's this idea that we try and you know, make, bring the supernatural into our everyday life. Uh, you know, and we just become really good and natural at praying for people and offering to pray for them, that kind of stuff. I love the idea of it. Um, honestly, I'm not very good at it. I'm very good at awkwardly supernatural. <laughs> and just want to be, just want to be honest with you. Like, is it awkward sometimes when I stop a conversation to ask to pray for someone? Yes. Do I feel a bit awkward? Yes. Do they feel a bit awkward? Yes. Is that okay? Yes. And so, just want to encourage you. It is not about us. We're called to partner with God in doing his work with the ultimate aim of giving him the glory, giving the king the glory. And say, let it be awkward. Give it a go. We were made to be rulers. We were made to be culture creators. Now, this means that all of us in the room have the authority to go and do this stuff. Whether you work a minimum wage job or you're a CEO, whether you're flunking out of your class right now or you're a top student, whether you make coffee or you're unemployed, whether you're sat with absolutely no idea what is going on in your life and what you're going to do with the next 10 years, whether you're a full-time parent or carer, you know, whatever, you know, I hope we're getting the picture, whatever sphere of influence that you exist in, you can do this stuff. This is not something that is just reserved for me as the site pastor or for James as the senior pastor. We all have authority as the church. Alan Scott, who is a vineyard pastor that we love, he puts it brilliantly, and he says it like this. We all have the same authority as the church. We don't all have the same authority in the church, but the street cleaner has the same authority as the senior pastor as the church. So as the, as the church, out on the streets, every day and everywhere, we all have the same authority to rewrite people's stories. Now, I'm aware that this can sound a bit brash and maybe even a bit arrogant that we're saying these things, but this is what Scripture says. And I know that it's not very British, right? We love to be self-deprecating, don't we? But the reality is, this is what Scripture says about us, that we have been given the authority. And maybe we need to realign our thinking and, and align it more with what the Bible says about who we are than what our British culture says about who we are. I love that song that we, sit, that we sang at the end of worship, I am who you say I am. What a declaration, especially for our generation, especially at this time. So I am who you say I am. I have the authority that you say I have. Uh, in Psalm 8, Psalm is a book of poetry and worship. The psalmist David says this when he's reflecting on humanity and talking to the Lord. Verse 6, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Everything under their feet. That's a big statement. So what does this look like for you? 
What does it look like for you to carry the kingdom and to rewrite the stories of those around you? Is it offering to pray for them, to step out and do that? Is it offering to, to bless their business? Is it investing in your local community? Is it, uh, is it speaking a word of life and hope into a broken situation? Is it training to become a counselor so that you can support those who are struggling? What is it? Why don't you ask the Lord? What's he highlighting to you? In, uh, in Matthew 28, uh, the last recorded words of Jesus are what is known as the Great Commission. Jesus uh, here is commissioning his disciples. So turn with me if you've got a Bible. Matthew 28, verse 18. It'll come up on the screen again. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What a statement. Many theologians say here that Jesus is mirroring the cultural mandate given in Genesis 1. And some of them would even go so far as to say that Genesis 1 was the original Great Commission. And that what's happening here in Matthew 28 is that Jesus is recommissioning us and reminding us of that original commission. That we as image bearers of God, that our job is to make visible the invisible God. That we would go to the ends of the earth, that we would go to all people groups, that we'd even go to North Cardiff to see the kingdom come. That we, as we see the kingdom come, would rewrite the stories of those around us. James, last week, if you were here, we had our Vision Sunday, and he spoke about the fact that we feel like the Lord is giving us that language of rewriting stories. That it's what, you know, obviously it's what we've always been called to do, but really that he's kind of pressing that pedal in this season. And we have been given the authority to do that. I don't know about you, but I am desperate to see our nation's story rewritten. I'm desperate to see our city's story rewritten. I'm desperate to see my friends' lives rewritten. I'm desperate to see my own story rewritten. I don't want our nation to be known for having the highest child poverty rate in the UK. It's not okay. I read an article um, published on Friday from The Independent that highlighted that the valleys, see this is an area just a few miles north of us, are poorer and more deprived than much of Europe. That is crazy. That is a story waiting to be rewritten. And maybe one of you, maybe some of you are going to go plant a church up in the valleys to go rewrite that story. That would be cool. We rewrite the stories as the church by understanding the authority that we have been given to bring about the kingdom of God. So again, what does it look like for you? What could be the first steps? Now, as I said earlier, there are two kingdoms at play. I've got the kingdom of God and we've got the kingdom of evil or darkness or Satan. And so I just want to put like a little caveat that as I'm talking about the authority that we have to bring about the now, I am not saying that we in any way whatsoever believe that we are kind of on a trajectory towards a Christian utopia where we're going to get there before Jesus returns. We don't believe that. We believe what scripture says is that when Jesus returns, the kingdom of God will come in its manifest fullness. But until then, we get to bring in the future reality of that kingdom to now. 
Again, Derek, explain this in a bit more detail. But that excites me. That really excites me. And you know what? I'm also aware that some of us here, you know, as I've used that language, like, I'm desperate to see the nation story rewritten. That you're here and you're like, I'm not. And you know what? I think tonight is a moment that the Lord is inviting you to have your heart broken. You know, it's not necessary for Wales. But it's, it's, it's to be broken for his kingdom to come. We're not meant to live an apathetic life. We're meant to be compelled to go out for this kingdom because it is the only kingdom worth living for. It is the only thing worth giving everything for. But it is worth giving everything for. And so if you're here tonight, maybe that as at the end when we have a chance to respond, maybe that is for you. To respond and be like, Lord, I feel really apathetic and I don't want to anymore. Or maybe I want to want to not feel apathetic. So, all well and good, I hear you say. Paul, you're saying that we have all this authority. Why does my life not look like I'm rewriting many stories then? I think a big part of this is that many of us don't step into this reality that we've been learning about today, that we have this authority. So I have... Um, an artifact, so to, so to speak. Many of you won't know what this is, but this is a £10 note. <laughs> 20 years ago, people used it to pay for things before they had things. But um, this £10 note, it's free to anyone who wants it in this room. Every single one of you has permission to come up and take it from me. You've got to come up and take it. And you have permission, or we've got a race. Oh, no. <laughs> There you go, Ellie. She, oh, she's going to pass it on immediately. Look at that. What a saint. What a saint. Amazing. I was expecting it to take a bit longer for someone to respond. <laughs> Apparently not. Did you see what just happened? Everyone in here had the authority to go and spend that £10 note. But only Ellie, well, and the lady at the back, sorry, I don't know your name. Um, only they stepped forward and took it. So we all had that authority available to us. But only those guys are going to go use that money to spend on something fun. Now, look, every analogy has its limitations. I get that. But do you see what's going on here? God is standing in front of all of us. And he's saying, I've got a £10 note. I want you to go spend it. Come and take it. Go spend it. You've got permission. Go do it. And how most of us kind of sit, and maybe it's like, oh, I don't want to be awkward and embarrassed and like get up in front of the whole room. Or a guy came, I did the same thing in the morning service. It's, it's costing me quite a lot of money. I'm preaching next week in the north as well. <laughs> I got to the cash machine this evening, and I was like, I only have five pound notes, I only have five, ah, oh, no, 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 I'm only joking, I'm only joking, <laughs> I'm joking, outrageous generosity uh, of 10 pounds, well, 30, over the course. anyway, 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 um, I had a guy come up to me afterwards, and he was joking about it, and he was just like, oh, I just thought there'd be a catch, maybe that's you, maybe like God's inviting you to this authority, and you're like, but what's the catch? It's like, oh, okay. Maybe you need to grow in trusting the Father. We are image bearers of the King. We have been given the authority 
by him to rule and reign and to bring about his kingdom. So what's stopping you? Oh, would we be a people that would take that 10 pound note and go and spend it? Think about how different our city would look, how different our friendships would look, our workplaces, our university schools, wherever you are. If we started to operate in the authority that God has given us to bring about the kingdom of God. So what does it look like for you? Now, as I said at the start, over the course of this series, we are going to get really practical. And I understand that tonight, all I have really done is lay the groundwork without giving us loads of detail. So we will get there. But I really want you to begin to think about what it looks like for you. And over the coming weeks, um, we want our church to catch this so that it becomes a way of life for all of us, not just in this series, not just in the next few months, but over the next few years that we would live this out. And so as we go through this preaching series, we want to share stories of what God is doing through us as a church. Um, Every Wednesday, uh, our staff team uh, have lunch together. And in that lunch, we share stories about what God has done through us over the last seven days. And I tell you what, it raises my faith. Because I hear stories and I'm like, oh, well, you know, if Dave can do it, maybe I can do it. Okay, I'm going to give that a go. And so we are committing to you guys, that if you share your stories with us, we will share them every Sunday we do a Kingdom Carriers Preach in this series. Because we want to show you that our church is stepping out and going into this stuff. And that as we hear stories of people stepping out, that maybe we would be encouraged to go do the same. So, um, there's a slide that's going to, there we go. Uh, if you could email us, kingdomstories at cardiffvineyard.org, we would love to read your stories and then share them. Obviously, if you have a story that you don't want to be shared, just let us know in the email. But please, please, please email us. We want to hear what God is doing through you. We do not want this to be a series that we preach. We met as a preaching team, I don't know, maybe about three weeks ago, talking about this series. And we were like, we are just desperate that this would not be a series that we preach. And everyone's like, yeah, that's nice. That's really good. And then no one does anything about it. That is not what our heart is. Our heart is that our lives would look different at the end of this preaching series than than they do right now. That you guys would pray for more people in your everyday life than you do right now. We want to see that change. We'd love to invite you into it. Um, The other thing I'd encourage you to do is to share these stories in your small group. I hope for you guys are in a small group. If you're not, I'd encourage you to join one again. Find out downstairs about them. Uh, But maybe as your icebreaker, just across the evening, begin to share stories of what God is doing through you. Talk about it, and you'll find that as you start to hear stories, they raise the faith and expectation for other stories. So, we have the authority. Maybe we just need to realize that we've got it. Why don't we stand?